Good morning. Should have come prepared. I'm not used to being over here. <laughs> I'll just sing this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I am the vine, and my father is the vine keeper. Every branch that's part of me, when it's not bearing fruit, he lifts it up, and every one that's bearing some fruit, he cleans it in order that it may bear greater fruit. Already you're clean because of the message I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and in you, just as the branch can't bear any fruit from itself, it's not abiding in the vine, <clears throat> so neither can you, if you're not abiding in me. I myself am the vine, you the branches. The one who abides in me, and I in them, will bear much fruit, because separated from me, you're not able to produce anything. If anyone isn't abiding in me, they were thrown outside like the branch and were dried up. People are gathering them up and throwing them into the fire, and they're being burned. If you abide in me and my teachings abide in you, request whatever you want, and it will happen for you. In this, my, in this way, my Father was glorified, so that you bear much fruit and become disciples to me. Just as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you hold on to my instructions, you'll abide in my love, just as I've held on to the Father's instructions, and I'm abiding in his love. I've described these things to you in order that my own joy may be in you, and that your joy may be brought to fulfillment for being here this morning and sharing this time. We've had a wonderful time of worship. I thank the praise team so much for all that they have done. They, and all of those that are back from the, the retreat last week at the, the Kahnemans, the Kahnemans small group retreat, which I've heard was really uh, wonderful. And it's also just so great to, um, uh, to, to remember Gertrude and her years uh, among us and celebrating her as she aged so beautifully among us and and so on if you do not have a um one of the the sheets that uh has the scripture that you just uh, heard george read uh for us so beautifully uh and then has some other scriptures that i'm going to be referring to and I, uh and the notes that i'm going to be uh following please uh hold up your hand and someone will uh it looks like effie hong is the one that is the designated hander router there uh, that that's wonderful um, <clears throat> as has already been uh, mentioned, uh, uh, it is not next week, but the week after that, uh, that we have our retreat out in, in uh, Pennsylvania, in the Poconos, and I, I'm really looking forward to that. We've been blocked off from having our retreats together for, for two years, and it's uh, really, uh, it's, it's such a, a joyful thing to think about us all being there together and sharing uh, in that, that time. Uh, and I hope that you will be thinking toward, uh, toward that. They, the the message, message today and the one for next week are both sort of aimed in the direction of the retreat, though uh, the retreat itself will be something on its own, and, um, and you'll see how, how things will, will go together as we, as we <coughs> share in that in that time together. As, um, <clears throat> as Emily said, uh, we're looking at the, uh, the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John this morning. The, the general rubric under which our retreat is, is, uh, is being thought about and, and developed and so forth is the idea of being connected, connected to each other. We've all felt the impact of COVID and of us all being apart and looking at each other through screens and everything. And, and though we've been meeting together for a while, still it takes <clears throat> one of the things that a retreat can do is to get us sitting down to eat together, more talking to each other and all of those things, to, to connect with each other. And also in our meditation and our thoughts to, to think about how we are connected on other levels, connected with, with Jesus and and with God, and what that means uh, as a way of being, a way of living. And, and there's just no passage that's better for getting us 
into that uh, than in this section of the Gospel of John. And in so many ways, it is kind of the theme of it. It's, uh, it is um, characteristic of John's writing as you read the passage. You heard uh, George read uh, 11 verses from the beginning of the 15th chapter. Uh, that the way in which John narrates the story of Jesus and the way in which he gives us Jesus' teachings is often in a, in a way, I, I don't really know that they're a, a good, a pro, really appropriate way, but I think of it kind of as a spiral that's moving along. Maybe not just a perfect spiral, but it's, it moves forward, but also around and backwards, covers the, th- the same things again, but with changes and differences and leads us step by step by step. Because John, I think, is aware of the fact that actually letting the things that he's saying settle into us, letting them sink in, if you will, into into us is a real challenge. It's easy enough to read the words. It's easy enough to, to you know, to memorize it, to have song favorite songs, to have favorite passages in all of it. But to actually live knowing that this is true and this is truth with a capital T is, uh, is a real challenge. But it's what John truly wants and it's one of the reasons that he devotes so much time to this particular discourse. Chapter 15 is right, the, is the middle chapter of a longer discourse of starting in chapter 13 or longer section starting in chapter 13 and going through chapter 17. The last evening of Jesus with his disciples as they share in this, this, this great dinner together, uh, reclining around tables and eating uh, together. And, uh, and one of the things I think that makes this, this passage, the whole passage, 13 through 17, so appropriate for us is that, is that John is kind of penetrating into those connections between Jesus and the disciples. And the connections that they have to each other and, 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 and so forth. Um, as we're going into the retreat, one of the things we, we want to think about is about our, our own stories. What we've been through, what you have been through. And um, all of that. Who we are. Where we're going. Both, uh, both as individual people, but especially, of course, since this is a, a church retreat, as a, as, a, as a congregation, as a community of, of people. Our lives could be just off going off in different directions in the world, and uh, none of us know each other at all. But we have been drawn together around this gospel, and we come together, and our lives intersect. They scream together. And there is, in, from the scriptures, a, a dynamism that flows from that, something that happens through that, that is, uh, that is treasured and emphasized in, the, in the, the course of scripture and in the stories of scripture. When you think about us as our, our lives intersect, uh, think about your own life. Uh, just the infinite detail of everything, you know, I mean... The things that you've been doing this morning. If you tried to, to write down everything just this morning that you've been doing, uh, depending on how great a detail you went into it, you know, I picked up a fork to eat my eggs. I set the fork down. The eggs were a little bit too hot. So I, uh, you, know, you could go into an infinite amount of detail that's there in just the living of life. We always filter things. But then also there's that stuff that's happening inside you, in your mind, in who you are. You are, at least one of the things you are, many things you are, is a stream of consciousness. And this morning, right now, there is a stream of consciousness in every single mind that's out here in this. Something that nobody else in the entire world can know, because it is you it is inside you, and there is no way that I can know it or you can, uh, or that anybody, no matter how close to you they are, except insofar as you reveal it, as you show it uh, to us. There is this, this astonishing stream that God has made possible in each individual human being. And out of all of that comes our 
story. We filter it. We um, we censor it. Uh, we um, think think about uh, uh, the our communion meditation uh, this morning and the censorship that uh, that uh, had to be applied there in that particular situation. And and you think about all the things that we we do uh, in our in our lives that are all the things that are going on. You know, maybe you're really focused on what I'm saying right now, but some of you may be planning dinner or lunch uh, after church right now or thinking about, ah, oh, the trip has been just such a pain and we've got to deal with this and this and this this afternoon and, and so on. It could be all kinds of things that are going on because we are complex beings. John wants us to see the varied disciples. He doesn't try to get into all of them, but he gets into several of them. He wants us to see them as distinct individuals, and he wants us to see them, in a sense, united through Jesus' eyes as Jesus interacts with them and deals with them and guides them. The story reveals them, and, uh, and in that process, it shows us something about well, it shows us something about God. It shows us something about God by the way in which we watch Jesus as he interacts with, with the disciples. All the way through the, the whole section, 13 through, through 17. But of course, this morning, we're going to be looking especially at chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And in this particular spot, after, G, after we've had a considerable lead up in chapters 13 and 14, uh, some of which we, we read from chapter 14 in our call to worship uh, this morning, Jesus uh, starts this new chapter, not that it was a, a, there weren't any chapters in, in Jesus' discourse, of course, but he comes to a point and he just lays out this striking sort of pre-interpreted metaphor because he says, I am, and he uses a word there, I am, of course, echoes back to the God's revelation of himself back at the burning bush to Moses. I am who I am. But here it has that follow-up that is characteristic of the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, and so on. But here it is, I am the true vine. And so I'm going to read once again because it's important for us to just kind of get these verses in our minds as to, to think about and meditate on. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine keeper. Uh, shouldn't, shouldn't God be the, the ground that the vine is growing out of? He's the vine keeper. Hmm, I've got to think about that right now. And so the metaphor starts challenging us as it, as it is extended here. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine keeper. Every branch that's part of me, when it's not bearing fruit, he lifts it up. And everyone that's bearing some fruit, he cleans it in order that it may bear greater fruit. If you've been following in your Bibles, you know that I translated that wrong. Um, it, because it, whenever, where it says uh, in this translation that I've just been reading, that he lifts it up, you're probably on almost any translation that you have, it's he takes it away or something, some, uh, something like that. And uh, this has just been one of those things that I've meditated on and thought about in, in all of this. Um, and I'm not, not totally sure about my translation, but I want you to think about it anyway. It's one of those things. That he's talking about branches that are part of me. Just, and just think about how the metaphor spins whenever Jesus says, I'm the vine and there are branches that are part of me. Now, he hasn't actually said that the, that the disciples are the branches yet. He's going to say that a little bit later on. So right, right here as we start off, we're kind of wondering what the branches are maybe. And uh, we, we don't know necessarily. But this is definitely a branch that's part of me, but it's not bearing fruit. And then there is this word in, in Greek, it's the Greek, Greek word "iro," which means to lift up. 
uh, but it also, because you can lift it up if from something, it can mean to take it away from something. Usually it has a preposition, though, whenever, whenever it means to take it away. You lift it up from something else. Here it doesn't have any preposition. I, and, and so I, I'm thinking about Jesus saying, I did not come to, to judge the world, but to save the world, that God's interest is in saving in every aspect of, of what, he, what he does. So here's a branch that's part of me, that's in me. That's the phrase that Jesus uses, in in Greek. In me. He's, this branch is in me, but there's something wrong. It's not bearing fruit. And so the idea, at least in the translation that I would suggest to you here, is, is that God repairs, God helps, God lifts it up. The branches, if you're thinking about a vine, it's fallen down maybe on the ground. It's not in the, in the structure, whatever it is, that's holding the, the, the branches up on this, this grapevine and, and so forth. He lifts it up. And everyone that's bearing some fruit... He cleans it. Usually it's translated as prunes it. And that's, that's not a bad translation because we are talking about grapevines after all and they're famous for being pruned. If you look at pictures of a, of a, of a vineyard, whenever it's just been pruned, it's cut way back. You know, it's just those sturdy, heavy vines that are growing out of the ground and basic branches coming out because all the rest of it has been cut off. It's been pruned off. And maybe, maybe that's the, the, the thing here. But actually the word that, that is used here is not the word for cutting off. It's not for pruning. It is the word for cleaning. And it goes along with what he says next. You are already clean. It's kathairo um, in, in, in Greek, the, the, the word for cleaning. He cleanses it in order that it may bear greater fruit. Now in the metaphor, cleansing it may be cleansing it of... Uh, sucker uh, branch, little branchlings that need to be cut off and all of those kinds of things. That's maybe part of the metaphor. But he's thinking about people, too, as he's thinking about this. He cleanses it. He cleans it in order that it may bear greater fruit. And we're going to need to think about this bearing greater fruit and bearing fruit. And here is where it became, the, the disciples realized that Jesus is actually talking about them Already you're clean because of the message I've spoken to you. This is Jesus interacting with the, this group of disciples. You, you know the stories of the disciples. They, 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 they're definitely followers of Jesus. They've left stuff to follow Jesus. But at the same time, they struggle over and over and over again about understanding Jesus, what's going on, and, and so forth. And, and John is going to, as he leads us through the story, Jesus is going to, to highlight uh, uh, this. But Jesus' first statement about them in this metaphor is, you are clean. You are clean, not because of what you've done, but because of my words, my message, my logos that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. Abide, abide. That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Abide. The word is means to remain. That's a perfectly good translation, and that would be, you know, I would I would go with that. But the idea of abiding has a little bit of a different nuance in English. It it means to live somewhere, your abode, where you abide, and and that's part of what Jesus is talking about here of living in me being part of my life. And so, as I've gone through the translation, I've used abide over and over and over again because as, as uh, John tells, tells the story and writes this in, in Greek, he loves to use the same word again and again and again so that it seeps into us and gets inside of us and we think about it. Abide in me. And I abide in you. He leaves out the abide in the second part of the, of the, of the, uh, the parallel, but it's there. You abide in me, I abide in you. Just as the branch can't bear any fruit from itself if it's not abiding in the vine, so neither can you if you're not 
abiding in me. I'm, now he comes to be more explicit. <clears throat> I myself am the vine, you the branches. The one who abides in me and I in them, both ways, notice the interaction there, will bear much fruit because separated from me, you're not able to produce anything. Really? Oh, yeah? Just watch me. I can produce stuff. What do you mean I'm not able to produce anything? Well, that's part of what is flowing here. What, what is something? What is fruit? What does it mean for my life to be what it ought to be? And Jesus, in this metaphor, is pretty challenging uh, to us. That image of the vine moves the idea of discipleship sort of to a new level. We think of a disciple as a learner, a person who's a follower of Jesus, who's learning from him, listening to his teaching and so forth. And Jesus emphasized that. The words that I've spoken to you, they've had an impact on you. They've, they've made you clean. But now this new level of connection is expressed. You're not just with me. You're not just sitting at my feet and learning from me. You're not just studying what I say and repeating it and memorizing it and so forth. You are in me. And I am in you. But Jesus is just sitting right there across the table, so to speak, from them. He's right there. He's, you know, he's eating with them and so forth. What do you do with somebody who's sitting across the table from you, eating the same food that you're eating, and they say to you that you are in me and I am in you. In some, some way, he doesn't exactly express it. But we, we see Jesus' own life, Jesus' own reality in the disciples changing, working, doing its work in them. And we, as John narrates it for us, we learn it. Now, if we are, you know, good, good students of, our, of the scriptures, we, we hear echoes immediately of passages of scripture. And maybe most famously, Isaiah 5, where, where, where the, the prophet, where God talks about the Israel as his vine and he has planted this vineyard and taken care of this vine and he's worked on it and it's been beautiful. We have several other passages. Psalm 80 is another that does this too. Uh, that, but, but it has gone bad and it's become a wild vine and it's turned away from him and so forth. And so we're, we're, we have a feeling if we've read our scriptures that you know for, for where this could go and what it could mean but here it takes this very personal and focused kind of direction as we, as we look at it. Israel was cared for by God, but it could go really bad, become wild and without God. So Jesus says, I'm the true vine. He embodies the people of God. God's promises to his people are coming to their fruition in him. But then he talks about this, as I said, this branch in, in my translation there is part of me. It's in me, enemoi in Greek. This repeated phrase. And to, to, he just sets this off. He does not exactly explain it, but he just wants us to think about it and to think about it again and to think about it again. In me. What, is, what does it mean? And you've got these... Men and women, his range of disciples that were with him there, uh, that, that are, are part of this entourage with him, certainly the 12, but perhaps many others that might have been part of this, uh, this, this banquet. And Jesus says that this branch, uh, which is you, are part of me. What can, what can I do with that in my life? What do I make of it? And then he goes on to say, abide in me. 
live, remain in me. Live, live in me. How do you do that? How do you abide in me? Sharing Jesus' life. And Jesus gives the opposite. I abide in you. I share right back with you. As your life is shared with me, I share with you. The process of life is mutual here. God is the creator of life, so it's one directional there. But now God comes to share in the life that he's created. He comes to share in the the creatures' lives, the limited lives of these creatures that he's created in Jesus and through Jesus. Jesus says God is the vine keeper. He's seeking the good of the vine, always wanting to give them life. And, and so as we watch here this playing out, some of them, as, at least as I'm translating it, some of them need help hanging on. They're, they're, they're just barely in Jesus. But they're not outside Jesus. They're in him, but they, they're struggling to hang on, and there's not much that's coming of it. And so God lifts them up and helps them. They need help hanging on. And, uh, and, but God wants to nourish that life. Some of them need cleaning, like pruning the, 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 the vines. But, but Jesus' teaching is this process of whatever it is that scours, that cleans the vine. But some have cut themselves off and are not abiding in me. John chapter 15, verse 6. If anyone isn't abiding in me, they're not in me at all anymore, they were thrown out. Almost never are the actual tenses of the Greek in, the, in this verse translated uh, in, into English because it, do, it doesn't really sort of make sense with the, the, the kind of translation that people have thought it should be here. If anyone isn't abiding in me, they were thrown outside like the branch, and were dried up. I'm not sure. I, I think the sort of the first example that we're thinking of here is what's happened with Judas. People are gathering them up and throwing them into the fire, and they're being burned. He, when, when, as we have in chapter 13, when Judas takes that morsel of bread from Jesus that has been dipped into the common food that was there and eats it, Judas hears Jesus say, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And Jesus and Judas goes out and John says notably, and it was night. It was night. It was darkness. But then, so we have that, and that's his challenging thing. It shows the seriousness of what it means to abide in Jesus and that life, that everything is there. But then comes chapter, uh, right after that verse, chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my teachings abide in you, notice how I abide in you has become my teachings abide in you. This is kind of that spiraling effect as one goes into a, a new, new statement about this. Then request whatever you want, and it will happen for you. In this way, my Father was glorified so that you bear much fruit and become disciples to me. Hmm, now how does this work? If you're, if you're abiding in me, and I take it this is sort of like those disciples who are clean because of the word that Jesus has spoken, and my teachings are abiding in you, then that means that there has been a transformation in you. Your life has been changed, has been cleansed, has been made something else than it was before. And so, let go with it. Then ask whatever you want. Don't hold back. Don't be timid about this. 
Request whatever you want. Whatever flows from that relationship. Whatever flows from the presence of Jesus in you. Ask it. Seek the greatest thing that there is. Seek the most. Don't hold back. Ask whatever you want. And it will happen for you. In this way, my father was glorified. That's exactly where God has been going. He's wanted this. And it glorifies him so that you bear much fruit. This is how this happens, that, that you're transformed in this process. And this fruit is, is born. And you become disciples to me. Now, they're already disciples, but they're also becoming disciples. It's like what Keith was saying in the, in a, in a sense, like what Keith was saying in the com communion meditation. Sometimes we're in a struggle. Yes, we're disciples, but it's also a challenge for us to know what it is that, that's, that's going on with us and so forth. From Jesus' life in us, we are transformed and we receive what he, Jesus has been talking about in the earlier chapters and we'll talk about more in the following chapters, namely his God's spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes as the advocate, the comforter with, with, with us. God's own life given to us. Now, this fruit that we bear is that life of Jesus in us, in all its varied forms. I, I've heard this talked about and preached on so many times and where the idea of fruit is taken in, sort of in a, in a monochrome way, if you will, that it's one thing, that what, what you need to do is you need to get out and convert people and so forth. And that is a wonderful thing for you to, to, to talk to people, share faith and so forth. But it's not by any means the only thing or even the, the first thing that that Jesus is, is talking about here. It is whatever in your life is that transforming power of Jesus in you. That is what that fruit is. And God can recognize it. And the Holy Spirit works in it and brings it about. That paraclete that is there in, in you. And uh, so it's, this is not a pep talk about getting out there and talking to more people and so forth. It is talking about fundamental transformation in my life, your life, our lives, our life together, and so forth. Listen to, to words that are not from the Gospel of John, but are from 1 John. But with, you can hear echoes of the same language again in 1 John as you hear in the Gospel of John. This is 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. This is his instruction, usually translated, this is his commandment or his command but can be thought of in a variety of, of ways as instructions, the Greek word entele. This is his instruction, that we believe in the identity, the name of his son, Jesus, as anointed king, as Christ, and that we love one another. We believe in all that it means for Jesus to be who he is, to be God's anointed king, to be God's very presence among us, and that we love one another just as he gave instruction to us. That's what this is about. That's what it takes to genuinely know that this is true, to have this at the center of things, and then to, um, to, to love each other out of that. And anyone who's holding on to his instruction is abiding in him, and he himself is abiding in them. And this is how we, we come to know that he's abiding in us from the spirit whom he gave to us. So look where we are. Mutual life. There's this disciple here. You, me, Peter, Andrew, James, John, all of the, the group around the table and all those that might have been sitting over by the wall in the room. And they are all connected to Jesus who is connected as part of the life of God and is manifested in the life of the Spirit. If we just talk about Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, we're talking about the Trinity, bound together in this absolute unity. But what Jesus does is says, you, you can live right in that too. 
you can move right in to all of that. Is that really possible for us? Is that our story? Now, we're experts on our own stories. But I know my story. But um, I also know that I much prefer to tell certain aspects of it than I do other aspects of it. I don't know whether it's that way with you. Uh, I, I, I just naturally, I naturally censor the story of my life, as, even as I think about it. I want to think about myself in the most positive sorts of ways and, and so forth. But, and it's because we look through limited senses. We are, we are limited beings. I can't know all of the complexities even of my own life. I can't know, I can't, it's utterly impossible to think about recording the whole stream of, of consciousness. Just think about what happens when someone like James Joyce tries to write a novel in stream of consciousness. Just all the stuff that comes flowing out and goes on and on and on and on. You get some really long novels that way. Uh, that stream of consciousness. But that stream of consciousness, that consciousness, that thinking about God, about myself, about life, about all of these things, that's part of me too. And I, and I look at all of it through limited senses. And what has happened with God and in Jesus is that God has joined our limits by incarnation, by coming as a human being. But he takes us, as he does that, in unexpected ways into new visions of what's possible for human life. If I can just quickly glance back over the chapters that have led up to where we are in the 15th chapter of, of, uh, of Luke, and you'll, you'll know these, these sections. Right at the start of the 13th chapter, where the, the banquet is just getting going, basically... Jesus rewrites the standard story of God, who God is. And he does it by an action, by washing the disciples' feet. John 13, verses 3 through 5, it's on there, there on your sheet. Since Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going to God. He rises from the meal, lays aside his garments, and picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he pours some water into a wash basin, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples and to wipe them dry with the towel that was uh, around him. The God of glory that Jesus knows, he has come from God, he is going to God, he knows that glory beyond our ability to even begin to imagine it. The power that's there. What does it look like? It looks like loving service as a servant washing dirty feet, including the feet of one who's going to betray him there at that, actually just shortly after this meal, he starts the process, of, uh, the, after the, this, this particular section, he starts the process of it. That's what the glory of God looks like. That's sort of one of the things that makes me want to translate that Iro as, as he lifts it up. That's who God is. He rewrites our understanding. That betrayer thought that his plan was secret, but it's not. But the fact that Jesus knows it doesn't mean that Jesus slaps him across the face and drives him out of the room. He just lets him know that he knows, tells him whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And Judas leaves into the night. Then, as he goes on, he, not only that, but he washes Peter's feet 
Now, Peter has a clear story of who he is. He is Jesus' servant. He wants to serve him. He wants to take care of him. He wants to follow him no matter what it is, what it takes. He's ready to die for him, as we will see, as he says. Peter knows what his story is about. But when Jesus comes to wash his feet, you remember, well, I don't have to tell you the details. Peter will not have it. Won't have it. Because Jesus is his Lord and Master. And he should not be washing my feet. But Jesus says, you've misunderstood God. Look at the God that you see in this action. And see me there. And realize that this is who God is. Peter says, Wash my head, my hands. Watch me. Wash me all of Jesus says, No, you're clean. You're clean. I'm just going to wash your feet. And then just a little bit later, we have the gallant defender, Peter. You know, Jesus starts talking about the fact that he's departing and all of that. And Peter is upset by that. Chapter 13, verse 36, right at the end of the 13th chapter. And I'm going to read the first verse of the 14th chapter, which was the very beginning of our call to worship uh, this morning. Peter, Jesus has been talking about the things, bad things that are going to happen to him. But he, Peter knows that he wants to be Jesus' defender and to follow him gallantly even into death. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow me now. But later, you'll follow. Peter says to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And actually, Peter would ultimately lay down his life for Jesus. Jesus answers, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I'm telling you, the rooster won't crow before you deny me three times. Jesus doesn't say he's not going to lay down his life for him. He will. But he's not there yet. The rooster won't crow before you deny me three times. Don't let your heart be troubled. Keep trusting in God. Keep trusting in me. Just think how those words sounded to Peter when Jesus has just told him that he's going to deny him three times. As we go on through the story, we can just pop, pop, pop into a few places. You have Thomas. Thomas has this, knows who he is, too. He's a follower of Jesus, but he, you know, as we see him, he's a doubter. He doesn't, knows what he doesn't know. And uh, he doesn't know where Jesus is going as he's talking about all of these things. And he's very explicit about it. But Jesus knows Thomas, knows the situation, knows reality better than Thomas does. This is John chapter 14, verses 4 through 7. It's there on your sheet. Jesus said, and where I'm going, you know the way. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How then can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I myself am the way. Do you know me? And the truth. And the life. Somebody sitting across the table from you and they say, I am the truth. I am the life. You know the way to where I'm going because I am the way. Oh my gosh. You go crawling up the wall. But that's what Thomas already knows. He knows Jesus. And that's the answer in this situation. He is the way. He is the reality. He is life itself, creator. 
No one is coming to the Father except through me. If you come to know, if you've come to know me, you'll also come to know my Father. Well, Philip is sitting there and he says, Ah, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. Like Moses on the mountain, we want to see God. Show us the Father, Lord. That's, that will be enough for us. Philip says to him, this is John chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus says to him, Have you been with me such a long time, Philip, and you haven't come to know me? Of course they know him. One who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? Philip says, I've never seen God. No one's ever seen God. Jesus says, oh, yes, you have. You've seen me. Hmm. Hmm. All three are amazed at Jesus. <clears throat> All want to follow him. They, they know their story, and they, they know their honest limits. Jesus begins to open their eyes to see themselves within something that's vastly greater. As Jesus said back in John chapter 10, verse 30, again on your sheet there, I and the Father are one. Or in 1440, which is uh, just not too long before our, our text, there, um, um, then you'll come to know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I in you. When I tell my story about my life, if I ever do, and so forth, I, 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 I don't go there. Do you? I'm in God. I'm in Jesus. I'm sitting on his lap right now at this moment in heavenly places. I am right now. And I, I actually believe that. You are too. That it's much more comfortable than the pews here. You are there. That's what it means to be, to abide in me, living in the life of Jesus. There's a passage in 2 Peter it points to this, chapter, chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, He has granted us such precious and very great promises in order that through them you may become participants who share in the divine nature. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what the fruit is as it comes out. That's how far Jesus takes us. He takes us all the way into the joy of that life of God. Now, I want to be honest about myself. I want to be self-effacing. I want to know, recognize my faults and all of that. And that's good. That's really needed, you know, and all of that. Because none of this is anything that I could do for myself or you could do for yourself either. But God's work in Jesus is, as I said, vast and glorious on its own terms. That's what makes these stories so remarkable. Peter's a mess, but he's a wonderful mess, and Jesus is going to stick with him, and we're going to see Peter become the leader of the apostles. Thomas is going to doubt Jesus, even his resurrection, but he's also going to be the first one to confess him as my Lord and my God. Every one of us, Jesus knows where we are. He connects us to him first. And that's the hard thing about our stories. How does one actually deal with reality? Because I know my story on one level, the level that I see through my eyes and sense through my senses and all of those things. And then I'm called into this other level of story. And I'm challenged. 
Can I live there? What can I do? How will I be? Those limits that we have, those limits that blind us to see all of this, are precisely what should tell us to abide, to stay. Good example that's often been mentioned to me, uh, and I love it, is is the the difference between Peter and Judas. Um, Thinking about the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John, that when Jesus gives a breakfast after the resurrection for the disciples, Judas isn't there. He had pulled himself out of connection with Jesus. He had thrown himself away. And Peter came to breakfast. He did not know what Jesus would say to him. He didn't know whether Jesus would reprimand him and roast him over the coals, so to speak. But he learned. He learned the grace and the love of Jesus as he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? I know that you love me. And so Peter abided in him. And that life was remade and refocused. The story was retold because he was living in the retold, rewritten story of God in Jesus. Amen. Let's join together, I think, with our praise team and come up and we're going to sing our benediction song as uh, blessed be the tie that binds. And as we wait for that, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, would you let us actually believe Jesus when he tells us that we can abide in him and abide in the Father and the Spirit abide in us and all in all of that, that becomes our life, our story. It doesn't take away any of our limits, any of the sufferings, any of the messes that we make, but it keeps us abiding so that transformation can take place and we become part of your life. Just as Jesus said, he wants his own joy to be in us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will allow us to open our lives to that joy so that our joy may be full and his joy may dwell in us. In his name we pray, amen.